Ready to keep you company wherever you are. Carte Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. Welcome to another installment of The Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. This week, Daily Maverick journalist Queenan Maswabi and Carte Blanche's Erin Bates take a quick break while out in the field to discuss some of the latest news happenings. Here's what's coming your way. Someone hide the pens. While the president is eager to sign off on the NHI bill, organizations and opposition parties are sounding the alarm. Then, the taxman is telling controversial businessman Edwin Sodi to pay up. Do you think it's a situation where you need to hide your wealth nowadays, in case the taxman is watching? Well, I think people who are well-heeled like to call it being tax-efficient. And we quench our thirst for some good news as we celebrate Tyler's Grammy win. But first, it was a state of the nation few will remember. And despite President Cyril Ramaphosa's best efforts, has left many South Africans uninspired. Queen and we will have to deal with Sona. So let's kick off there. What were your hot takes? I was underwhelmed by Sona this year because I believe that the president kind of used the platform to advance the ANC's so-called successes in the last 30 years under the guise of saying the country is celebrating 30 years of democracy and it's important to reflect on all these aspects. But I think it didn't really land as well as they thought it would, at least the presidency and government, because, you know, the president used this analogy around a young lady called Tinsuelo and mm-hmm. going about how the ANC has, you know, assisted Tinsuelo as a young black woman throughout her life to achieve certain successes. Yes. And I think it was so funny because it ended up being a joke more than an important case study in our country. And that's simply because as much as the ANC has its gains, there are so many limitations to it, you know. And as we stand as a country right now, we are faced with many, many societal and economic challenges. So it's very hard to celebrate when we are in this position. Absolutely. I mean, unemployment, for example, being one of the things that I saw being raised as the sort of reality that a Tinsualo faces in South Africa of 2024. Ramaphosa describing her as democracy's child who's grown up in a South Africa worlds apart from that of her parents or grandparents. I mean, looking at some of your coverage on Sona for Daily Maverick, you do emphasize, of course, the mention of state capture and all the damage that wrecked upon the country. That was a decade of damage, said Ramaphosa. Bear in mind, of course, he's been in term now for, or in office at least. And for he some was five there, Erin. He was I know. there when all right of the state capture was happening. And yep. he, he behaves like he wasn't. The way he speaks about it, he almost removes himself as the, the then deputy president and says there was an area of state capture. But he was there the entire time. So it's 
it was actually annoying. I mean, you do mention in that article, sort of wrapping Sona up for Daily Maverick, some of the gains made by the revenue service. It's collecting of 4.8 billion rand in unpaid taxes, thanks to the work of the Zondo Commission, some of the work of the SIU, the work of the NPA's asset forfeiture unit, freezing orders of 14 billion rand. It's nabbed as well as 8.6 billion rand in corrupt proceeds being returned to the state. I mean, there's also the issue, of course, of us being on a gray list and government saying, oh, well, we're not going to be on it long. You deal with unemployment and load shedding and all the key issues, the National Health Insurance Bill, the social grant for relief of distress. Where do you think the strongest message lay as lackluster as you found Sona? It's so difficult to say because, you know, I think it was a Sona that spoke about the general issues in South Africa. It wasn't one that was focused. In the previous years, the president has gone onto the platform and used it to make announcements about the way forward for the country, right? But this year, it's so hard to even pinpoint exactly what his message was besides the the 30-year anniversary of democracy in the country. The only new thing that came from the speech is the extension of the SRD grant, which is the 350 rands for unemployed people in South Africa. And I don't think it was a surprise for me because mm. obviously it's close to elections. There was no way that the NC-led administration was going to pull the grant just before we head to the polls. I want to touch on what you're saying in terms of the overall wash or tone of Sona. And did it sound to you like a farewell from a president? Not at all. So on the red carpet, we were speaking to a lot of political leaders, some from the ANC, who are adamant that the ANC will be back for the Mm. seventh administration, right? I I wonder if they're as adamant about that as they were about us not getting grey-listed, because as much as government was spewing that we wouldn't be grey-listed, it happened. There's a kind of amnesia or denial that often sort of permeates ANC leading thinking. Definitely. I think all political parties are a bit delusional at times. But particularly with this, the president was clear to say that we are coming back for the seventh administration. This is not the end, right? And obviously that got a lot of approval from ANC MPs who were, you know, excited by what he was saying. He's always very calm and collected when he speaks. But yesterday, definitely, he came in to say the ANC is not going anywhere. We will be the governing party in South Africa. Just as we close off, I thought it was interesting that he underlined his take on or his analysis or framing of the July 2021 protests, that it was an attempt at a popular insurrection which failed. I also thought it was really interesting to hear, well, to not hear from the president, in fact, (laughs) whether or not we're going to the polls in May. And obviously, we should know by the end of February whether or not that's happening. We'll need to keep an eye on that, Queenan. The National Health Insurance Bill, or NHI, is practically a done deal. This, according to President Cyril Ramaphosa and the ANC as a whole. But some are questioning the constitutionality of the bill in its current form, saying it will rob South Africans of the freedom to choose. Queenan asks the more pressing question, though, is a desperate ruling party in it for the people? or simply looking to score a few much-needed election points.
Another thing we're keeping an eye on, I'm sure, you and I both, is the National Health Insurance Bill, something Ramaphosa also mentioned in Sona. It's been backed by the likes of the South African Communist Party and Kusatu, but the likes of Business Unity South Africa and Business for South Africa are those flagging concerns over its constitutionality. It's been a back and forth also between political parties generally around whether this is the step South Africa should be taking. But now it's not only about that. The conversation has moved to whether the bill itself is structured in a way that doesn't harm the health system of the country, right? And I I do believe that it's important for every single South African to get the best medical care possible. But I believe in the same breath that there should be steps taken to make sure that the bill itself is watertight, that it will not affect the healthcare system because our healthcare system to a larger extent is good, but also we have so many failures, right? And we cannot afford to introduce a bill that could possibly cripple our healthcare completely, right? And I think the president hinted at the fact that he's about to, you know, sign on the dotted line and the DA has reiterated time and again that they will not take this line down. The Western Cape government is saying that they would go as far as taking legal action if it is signed. Yes. I mean, in Sona, President Ramaphosa saying, quote, we plan to incrementally implement the NHI dealing with issues like health system financing, the health workforce, medical products, vaccines and technologies and health information systems, end quote. Some of the concerns that have been raised by the likes of BUSA and B4SA who approached the presidency last year to try and delay the National Council of provinces passing it, which it did in December, was things like the potential for corruption in terms of procurement, concern over the standard and condition of public health facilities as is. And also, here's where the constitutionality question really comes to a point. Whether the bill as it is now will limit patients' choice by prescribing the access route. So, in other words, insisting that patients go in a certain direction when it comes to healthcare, rather than giving citizens the freedom of choice in terms of how to approach their own health issues. There's also the issue of the role of medical schemes and ending that, which obviously has those up in arms. The tricky thing here is that Health Minister Joe Patla's own performance agreement with the president includes passing this bill. But I think, Queen, and as you're saying, you know, we've seen with decisions in the Constitutional Court which refer legislation back to Parliament for being wanting, if there are real blemishes in the bill, which is then passed into law by the president this year, it will not only cause real harm, if that is indeed where the faults lie, but they could end up going through the legal system and being referred back and then picked apart and reassembled later on, as opposed to getting something really good, putting it through and having it implemented effectively. In a perfect world where we have a super functional healthcare system that meets the needs of the people of our country. Implementing the NHI bill has been part of the ANC's agenda probably since 1994. Mm. So it's been a long time coming I believe that they've had more than enough time to fine-tune and perfect it. So I don't know what the issue is, why they're not ensuring that all stakeholders have a buy-in and believe in the project, because without that, I don't think we can move forward, right? But I also do believe that the president might be a bit under pressure because we're going to elections. You know, in an election year, everything could be about elections, you know. (laughs) You never know. Everything could be pressure to sign it now. 
and mm. and make sure that it's one more brownie point because I think the the ANC has been capitalizing on anything they can for the upcoming election. So yeah, so tricky. I, I don't know what to think about it, but I do believe they shouldn't be hasty and make sure that they cover all grounds before moving forward. What are the real grievances or potential flaws and anticipated faults in the NHI bill which have been flagged. Martin Kingston, who is on the steering committee for Business for SA, says that weaknesses and material negative implications of the NHI bill in its current form will have devastating consequences for the country and her people for generations to come. Potential problems with it include, I know we spoke about some earlier, but more specifically procedural concerns, the absence or lack of a socioeconomic impact assessment, inadequate consideration of public participation, prescribing access to health care, the constitutionality issue there, and effectively taking away patient choice or agency, the prospect of appealing against medical decisions, a lack of milestones for implementation, and then the question, of course, of funding for the NHI and uh, where taxes will go in terms of the revenue service or the health department. So, I mean, I'm no health expert neither of us are health journalists, but like you say, certainly a hot topic in an election year and in a country where there are so many people who depend on the state for basic services and 16% of the population who can afford not to are in private medical aid schemes. And perhaps that's why it's sometimes very difficult to speak on issues that you are not experiencing. As you say, we are probably both on medical aid. It's very easy for us to criticize, but, you know, I think we need to strike a balance somehow. Partly what the DA is saying is right. So they're not against universal coverage. They're against the mechanism in which it will be done through the NHI. So just the the, the fine-tuning that needs to be done. I will just say that I have a very close relative who has used public health care. And that experience has included both exceptional medical services and also some which has been really wanting. Uh, it doesn't take too many degrees removed to, to know what's happening in public health care to, to some extent. Pay up or else. That's the message from the South African Revenue Service to controversial businessman Edwin Sodi. With over 400 million rands in outstanding taxes, SARS is now gunning for Sodi's assets. Meanwhile, Sodi has until the 15th of February to respond. Let's move on to the absolutely flashy pretty outrageous whiner and diner Edwin Sordi, the tenderpreneur extraordinaire who is facing quite a hefty tax bill. Ever since his name came on the scene, I think it was during the state capture inquiry, there's been a lot of talk around his wealth and his links to the ANC, of course. And I sometimes wonder if people don't have it out for him because of his links, obviously, to the governing party. Um, and also the revelations around his flashy lifestyle, right? We've seen articles around all his homes, the woman he dates. There's a huge interest around it. Mm. And and now we, we're finding out that, you know, this person has kind of become an enigma to the public, owes so much money to SARS. When I was reading the articles around that, I, I couldn't see whether he has, you know, sent a response whether he has any intentions of formulating a plan to make sure that this money is paid. But I think the interest around it is not only because of 
the amount he owes because no, four hundred million. Four hundred million. Yeah, four hundred million. If we, we want to get specific, it's four hundred eight million. 71,575 rand and 71 cents that he owes SARS. Uh, this is according to an article in the City Press by Mduduzi Nonyane. Yeah. Um, and he's basically got the option to settle in full, to go on a payment plan, or wait for SARS to go to the High Court, get an order to execute his estate and attach either his assets or anything that uh, he is owed by third parties. So SARS essentially swooping in. Do you think it's a situation where you need to hide your wealth nowadays in case the taxman is watching? Well, I think people who are well-heeled like to call it being tax-efficient rather than hiding their assets from the revenue service. But I think that's exactly what's often happening under tax efficiency, quote-unquote. You were talking about not knowing his response. He had 10 days to respond to SARS based on a letter of demand, which was issued to him in the last week of January. As noted in the City Press article, he's become synonymous with botched public projects. There was the asbestos project in the Free State. There was also another housing project there. His Blackhead consulting firm is notorious. Anyone who does a desktop search of the most rudimental variety will see that there is a a big flashing siren above Edward Sordi and his business dealings. And yet the city of Chuane did a deal with him and a partner in a joint venture in 2019. And then it all came to ruin and the service wasn't delivered and it put uh, potable water in uh, the Royval area in jeopardy. So is not someone who delivers uh, well on government contracts. And uh, clearly he's also on SARS's uh, understanding and information evading tax. I think important just to note, of course, carte blanche recently did a probe on Edward Nsordi and a contract he had to eradicate the use of bucket toilets and the ways in which that went horribly wrong and is still on catch up at the moment. That will be on our website from the 20th of February, 2024. So put that Aaron, in your diary, Queenan. Yes. No, for sure, for sure. I just want to say, it, it says a lot also about our country because how is he getting away with this continuously? You you have listed incidents where he has botched tenders, right? And he continues to live a lavish life. He continues to benefit. While there are so many people, I think, are willing and able to do the job, but he constantly gets the opportunity. It's unacceptable. It is unacceptable. And the city of Tuane actually has written to National Treasury saying they want to blacklist him. But in terms of proper process, they also need to notify him that they intend to do that. He then gets the opportunity to retort. And he says, well, in the instance of the Royval project, his partner, who is now deceased, was the scoundrel and was, you know, defrauding him and is uh, the reason why everything went bottoms up. It's a song that even had President Cyril Ramaphosa shaking his booty. So it's no surprise that South African artist Tyler's global hit song, Water, bagged a Grammy Award. At just 22 years old, it seems Tyler's well on her way towards realizing her dream of becoming, quote, the world's first global South African pop star. And we're here for it. So, Queenan, onto our green shoot of the week. Let's move over to entertainment. It is so exciting. You have no idea how happy I am for Tyler. I can hear it in your voice. Oh, my <laughs> word. I am so excited. Especially because the Nigerians thought they were going to take it. It's a very good South African story. And it makes me feel so warm and fuzzy to hear about a young woman from South Africa. Obviously, a 22-year-old who's already won a Grammy. And it's her first ever 
award. Yes. Her acceptance speech was so, it just felt so sort of open and South African and kind of sincere. So either she had some great media coaching or she just was totally herself up on that stage and it was lovely. I think initially she wanted to be calm and collected and then when she said, what the heck? <laughs> the South African in her out. She couldn't help it. Everyone is excited to see what else she has to offer. She has been praised for her authenticity, of course, especially by South Africans saying she hasn't changed her accent. She hasn't changed who she is. I mean, in one of the interviews she did, they asked her what she likes carrying around that reminds her of South Africa. And she says she makes sure that she buys maize meal. And uh, she has it because now and then she wants some pup. Uh, I thought you were going to say Zambac, like a little tin of Zambac in her handbag. But pup is, uh, is, a, is a good coil. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so South African. She says she makes sure when she's traveling, there's always maize meal and it's her bit of taste of home. I mean... Who can hate Tyler at this point? Of course, the Nigerians can. But I mean, generally, she is amazing. And I'm excited to see her career lift off. Yes, of course, for those who don't know, Tyler, who is a Johannesburg-born South African musician of 22 years old, won the Best African Music Performance for her song, Water. It has some 121 million-odd views on YouTube, 391 million listens on Spotify. She received that Grammy in the 66th Annual Ceremony, which was hosted by our very own Trevor Noah, who himself nabbed an Emmy for Best Variety Talk Series just a little bit earlier this year. So a good inning so far for some South Africans in the entertainment industry. And we're only getting going. It's just the beginning of February. Queenan, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I'm sure we will do it again before the year is out. Thank you for your time. Thank you. It's always a pleasure speaking to you. And that's a wrap. In case you missed any of our previous chats with Daily Maverick, you can find them all on Carte Blanche, the podcast available on Spotify and all major podcasting platforms.